0: Thank you, Brian. By the way, Brian is one of our elders, and uh, we have a number of elders that are not going to be gone this week, so, and they're just raring to go to help you in any way, shape, or form. They look forward to Scott and I being gone because they can do more things. Like, there's Ryan there. I see him sitting there nodding. Uh, he's also agreeing. But um, anyway, if you need us this week, yes, Scott and I are gone, but Alicia will be back in the office. She can take your call, and she can she can get the appropriate elder called if you need some some help of some kind, so that is there. In the first church that I served, we had a family that was a little weird, um, which I know that's not saying a whole lot for any church, right? Just, there's uh, probably more than one weird family in every church, but they were weird in one of these kinds of uh, theological ways. It, in fact, it is a circumstance where you're almost like, should they really be here at our church because they held this doctrine that, that was, I, I have dubbed the doctrine radical gracers, radical gracers, in fact if I would preach a sermon where I was dealing with the idea of sanctification of our growth in Christ, if I ever said anything like we ought to strive or we ought to make every effort, which are all good biblical New Testament injunctions that are written to the church, um, they would catch me after the church and they'd say, mm-hmm. You know, you're preaching works again there, Pastor Jay, because it's all by grace, everything's grace, and and, and you know, we were in agreement that, that we are saved, we are absolutely saved and justified wholly and completely by the grace of Jesus Christ, and yet, when it comes to our sanctification, which is also the work of grace in us, we are to strive to grow. We are to strive toward holiness and, and, and so forth. Um, you may have looked at this passage today and thought, man, that does not seem like an Easter uh, passage. I don't know if you felt that way or not. Maybe it just hit you right off like, oh, that's a good Easter passage. Uh, it, it works with baptism. It works with Easter. It works with the issue of um, of our Christian life and how we should live. So this is the big idea today, and that is do not sin. Do not continue in sin. I don't mean that that we're called to live in a sinlessly perfect way we won't accomplish that while we are still in the body in this world but we are not to give ourselves to sin we are not to willfully in an ongoing fashion give ourselves over and to continue in sin in that way Paul says we are not to do that now why does he even say that why does he bring this up in Romans chapter 6 where is he going why does he have to make this application to baptism in the first place well, because in chapter 5, he's been talking about the grace of God. He talks in chapter 5 at the very beginning about how we are justified completely by our faith. And in that faith that we stand, we now stand in grace, the grace of God that, that, that forgives us of all of our sins. You had Adam, he talks about Adam bringing sin, so it's one man, one sin, brought death and destruction to the whole world, but through Christ, after all the many, many sins that all of us have committed, one act of righteousness redeems the whole batch. The law, Paul says, uh, increased trespass. But he says that the gospel of, of Christ uh, exalts the, that, that, that grace and makes grace abound all the more. So where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You tracking so far? That's a lot of theology. If, it, if it's new to you, just, just stick with me. But yeah, it's that, it's that statement where he goes, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And his enemies at that point were like, gotcha, see what you're saying there? You're saying that the more we sin, grace looks even bigger. it's, It's more fantastic. It's more glorious and wonderful. The more we sin. So you're saying, Paul, you're not preaching good news. You're preaching bad, evil news. You're saying, yeah, let's just go and sin so that grace can abound. That's what you're preaching, Paul. And Paul just takes that argument and just flattens it he just devastates it which is what we're going to be kind of looking at today so again big idea don't continue in sin I'm going to give you reasons out of Paul's argument here why that ought not to be why we ought not to continue first of all continuing in sin is based on flawed logic Paul uses a rhetorical question and he gets at the logic of what they're saying he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound that's a rhetorical question He's saying, no, that's, a, that, that's stupid. That, that would not be logical. I watched a mini-series recently. I won't mention the name just in case you end up watching it. Um, not a very popular channel, probably, so you, didn't, you probably won't see it. But anyway, um, in, this, in this series, um, the, the, the gentleman that was sort of the protagonist had killed a man. He, had, um, he was basically a good guy, but he had fallen into alcoholism, he gets drunk one night, he goes out, he hits a bicyclist with his car. And he owns it, he accepts it, he calls the police, he does everything right from that point forward. He goes to prison, they send him up for four years. He's just destroyed, it, it has ruined him. The, the guilt is, is overpowering, overwhelming to him. He doesn't try to get avoid, away or avoid the guilt. But the, after three episodes, the, the story ends with him meeting with the guy's widow. And, the, and she's very bitter, and she was very bitter in the courtroom and said horrible things that have rung in his ears for, for these years. And, and he sits across from her, and he makes no excuses for, for what he did. He just tells her, I really just need to tell you how very, very sorry I am. And in the ending dialogue of it, she looks at him, and she says, I want to forgive you. I want to forgive you. I can't forgive you yet. But I will keep trying. And it's just, you know, they, they don't bring the gospel into it, so that's, that part's missing. But there is this just kind of poignant, beautiful lesson about guilt and the promise of forgiveness. And the actor just does such a good job because he's been so distraught and depressed and demoralized by this sin. And, and in that moment where she says, but I won't quit trying, it's like you see this sort of flicker hope there, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful way to end this story. Well, the lesson of that movie would be that we should all become alcoholics, get drunk, and go out and run over bicyclists, right? Isn't that what I'm saying? After all, I'm saying this is such a beautiful, poignant human story of forgiveness. What we ought to do is just do it all the more so that we have more reason to you see how, it's just, it's, it's absolutely illogical. It'd be like saying, because Christ died for my sins, gee, I wish I could drive a nail in one of his hands, because that would feel, no! It's that, 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 irrational, it's illogical. Christ bore the penalty of our sin, grace flowed to us, but not at all so that we could go and sin more, given a, a, up against the cost of what he had to pay to forgive us and free us in the first place. Do You see the illogic of of what they're throwing up against Paul there? Of course we don't just continue in sin. The second reason, it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. It's kind of like the illogical part, but it goes more to the emotion. Paul says, by no means, and that gets translated different ways in different different versions. He's just stomping his feet feet and kind of saying ain't no way, ain't no how. Of, of course not. May it never be. Perish the thought of that. It's it is simply a perversion of of reason and and nature. It's abhorrent. Imagine if you will a little girl that um grows up in a a, a poor family. Her mother is a cleaning woman. Her father's long since gone, dead, whatever, he's not in the picture. And mom works ten hour days, sixty hours a week, just cleaning, and, uh, and you can imagine how tired she is and, and how much she has to stretch her dollar, but she goes out, and for Easter, she buys her little girl one of these very frilly white, pure white dress to wear on Easter, and this girl's never seen anything like that. Everything's been hand-me-downs and, and, and Salvation Army and thrift store, and, and, and her mother brings this home in a box. She's never seen something come in a box before. And, and it's open, and there's the, the paper and everything, and they pull it back, and there's this beautiful dress, and she's, she's ecstatic. She's over the moon that, that she has this dress, and, and she just can't wait for Easter. Well, her mom goes to work the next day. Grandma's supposed to be watching. She's somewhere else, and the little girl steals into the room, and she takes that dress out of the box, and uh, the temptation being too much, and she puts it on. She puts it on and her favorite movie is Snow White and so, of course, she's twirling in front of the mirror and then, of course, where'd Snow White go with her pretty dress? Uh, she went outside of the forest and so the girl goes outside into the backyard and she's twirling around, I wish, you know, and she's expecting bluebirds to come down and land on her finger and right about then, you know, she trips and falls face down in the backyard which is basically just dirt and her whole, her white dress is just, it looks ruined. It looks for all purposes ruined. And uh, and so her mom comes home that night and she sees her daughter. Daughter's taking the dress off and changed, but her dusty, dirty cheeks have little streaks going down them. And mom knows. She goes in and gets the gets the dirty dress, and she takes it in after a long day of cleaning, doing nothing but cleaning. She takes that out to the kitchen and she starts to wash it by hand in cold water. And she knows what to do. And she washes. She stands and keeps working it until all of the dirt is gone. And then, late at night, she goes, hangs it in the bathroom. It, it, it dries overnight. She gets up early the next morning. She goes in, she gets out her ironing board and her iron, and she presses it, and she's just so good at what she does that she's able to just make it look perfect, and she puts it back in the box. And so, what is the girl going to do when she sees that dress? Is she gonna put it on and go wrestle in the mud? Because, know, well, mom's good for it, right? Hasn't she, hasn't she shown? That she's good for it? She'll do it again? What difference does it make? Of course not. She knows what her mom did to afford it in the first place. She knew, what it, she knew exactly what it cost her. She knows exactly what she had to do to restore it. And, it. and the idea, how can this sinner, washed of the stain of the filth of sin, think to himself or herself, well, I'm forgiven. I'll just go waller in the mud pit for a while. Because you know, Christ is taking care of that. It's an abhorrent thought. Look at what he did. Look at what he did to purchase your salvation, your cleansing. Look, look what it cost him to restore you to that, that purity before God, that justified, cleansed and righteous before God. The third reason we uh, should not willingly go on sin is that baptism teaches us otherwise. I told you we'd get to baptism. Uh, Split verse 2 in half there. You'll notice the second part of verse 2 says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? How many here, in terms of your spiritual life, remember when you died? Do you remember when you died? Maybe that's a hard question. It's kind of like asking, Do you remember when you were born? I mean, you know the date, but do you remember the event? Maybe as a Christian you don't don't remember um, that moment when you died, but it was that moment when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when you affirmed by faith uh, Christ and, and what Christ did for you and your identification, your union with him. When you came into Christ, you died to your old self, and baptism is what displays that. Baptism speaks to that. It preaches that message to our heart, which we just saw. It is that moment where people publicly say, I identify, I'm in union with Christ and with what Christ did for me. So baptism means we are buried with Christ and now dead to sin. We are buried with Christ and now dead to sin. It says, do you not know That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In baptism we bury the person in the water in the imagery of death. There's the emblem of the grave there of being covered just as if you had been just as if you'd literally died and they were throwing the dirt on, on top of you. That water closes in over the top and it portrays that the whole idea of of that burial with Christ. In that, what's happening is we are renouncing our former life. We're renouncing the folly of our sin, going as sheep, going our own way in rebellion against God, our fleshliness, our worldliness. We are saying, that's behind me. That person who did those things is dead with Christ. He's been buried. That's that's what we're saying. Now, it doesn't mean that your personality has changed. You know, when you come to Christ and you die to your self, it's not an extinguishing of your previous personality. You're still the same person. I'm still Jay. I did not improve on that any, unfortunately. Uh, still the same guy. Um, I had a friend in, in high school and beyond. He actually is still a friend to this day, but he, he uh, when I met him, I already knew that he was an epileptic, but um, his first epileptic seizure happened when he was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years of age. And when it happened, it just happened very suddenly, which I guess it would, but all at once he had a grand mal seizure, and they took him to the hospital. Of course, he was diagnosed with epilepsy, and he came home the next day. And then later that night, his mom mom told this story. She said, "I I was in bed. I was asleep. I hear something. I'm thinking, what is that noise? She gets up. She goes out to the living room, and Keith is there with a vacuum cleaner. At 1 a.m., he'd been a typical messy boy with socks and stuff strewn all over his room, and after his epileptic seizure, it just became completely, it was like it really almost changed his personality, like it rewired uh, his brain in some sense. Well, that's not that's not what we mean when we say that that we are new creatures in Christ. That's not what we're saying when we say that the old self has died. Instead, we're saying in union with Christ, we are dead to that, that, that practice, that continuing in sin that we're talking about today. We've, we've died to those things. Does that make sense? Yeah? You know, there's a, uh, this must be kind of a common idea to humanity because you see this, it acted out in movies and, 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 and books and so forth. This idea of having something in yourself that's evil that you need to kill. Think about how many movies and stories follow that kind of plot line I mean you think of the movie The Exorcist you think of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde two or three of the alien movies Uh, I just recently read a book called Werewolf Cop um, played on the same theme yeah, my wife recommended that to him. Andrew Claven. how many know Andrew? Anyway, just read that book. He'd just become a Christian, and he wrote this book, Werewolf Cop, and he plays on these themes, and I think he was playing on this biblical theme, when he, but, but the, you have this cop who's like a, a straight, narrow guy. He's like a righteous dude, always does the right thing, and then he gets bit by a werewolf. Well, every time he becomes a werewolf, he ends up committing crimes, and he can't handle that. And then, of course, the you know, not to give too much away the plot, but uh, you kind of have to cure, kill the werewolf to get rid of it, if you know what I'm saying. But for you and me, Christ died. We died with him spiritually, in spiritual union. Doesn't mean, and Paul does not overpromise. Like some people will read this and they'll take that, this illustration, they'll go too far with it and they'll say, well, if I died to my old self, then, then that should be dead and I shouldn't be tempted to sin. How many Christians that have been Christians for a while realize, yeah, I'm no longer tempted to sin. Raise your hand, no longer tempted, they're just... There's just not even the slightest speck of evil. Anybody? No? Nope? Okay. That's good. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand on that deal. Because there is, there is still the animation, the, there is still the, the, the temptation within us to sin. That doesn't go away. Paul says in verse 11, just dropping down just to show you this, he says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin. He doesn't say you literally, but consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we still have a will. We still have a sinful nature. We still are are inclined to that, but we are to regard ourselves as dead to sin. So go back to the question, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Is that okay? We've looked at some some rational reasons, but, but, but in terms of our baptism, should we go on sinning? May it never be. We, we are dead to that. Are we not? That's the question, are we not? As a pastor and as a Christian myself, I have to say it is very easy for Christians to slip into a sort of, I mean, Easy believism, different, there's different terms that people will use for this, but it's sort of a view that, well, um, Christianity, faith in Christ, it's fire insurance. And, uh, you know, I pray to prayer, I'm good to go, and I will just live however I want to because it doesn't matter anyway because no one's perfect. And that is such a wrong notion. It completely misses the point of what God's, what, what the redemption in Christ is all about, what it means. What union with Christ means, we are united with him. And in the the likeness of baptism, we have been united with him in death. Men and women of God, we don't go, you know, you think about, is there anything grosser than a zombie? Pastor Jay's talking about zombies on Easter. Uh, This is not gonna go over well. I won't dwell on it, I'm just saying, I wouldn't want to touch a zombie myself or have one touch me, but in a way, it's almost like we're wanting to go back to this dead body and resuscitate it into a, 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 an animated zombie to walk around in, in the sin and the passions of our flesh. It's just not right. It doesn't fit being united with Christ. But if I'm dead, how do I live then? If I'm not going to be a zombie, got to have some other option here. Baptism means being raised to newness of life. It says we were buried, this is a repetition here, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now we're getting to the whole Easter thing, right? Because now we're talking about Christ risen from the dead. And we're not looking at it specifically here in Romans so much as the historical event that, that the Gospels record, although, of course, that is the backdrop. But we're specifically talking about, about what that accomplished in us. It's the nexus between Easter, Sunday morning, when the, when the tomb is empty and the stone is rolled away and all of that. It is the connection between that and our union with Christ. We now have been raised. Paul says that one resurrection brings the other. And that doesn't just mean that you have eternal life. A lot of people obviously want to go to believe in Christ because, well, at least I'll live forever, eternally. And they don't have a full sense probably of what that even means or, or, or how that really begins here where we come into union and we live in Christ now. But not only do we, do we live eternally, and not only will our, will our bodies be resurrected on that day, but the power of Christ's resurrection means that spiritually, in union with Christ, we are now raised to a new power, a new kind of life. It, it, it says a newness of life. Can you imagine somebody that's never seen a baptism or know anything, somebody that knows nothing about Christianity, what it would have been like today if they'd walked in? Now, I mean, they would have heard some of the explanation, but let's say that the sound was off and they're just watching what took place here. Can you think of anything stranger in all your life? No, really, I mean, think about it. You, you, you know it too well, but picture you know nothing about it. You come in here and there's an audience. You're not really an audience, but that's what you look like. You look like an audience because you're all faced the same way and you're not talking. And then you're looking up here, and there's the smallest Olympic-sized swimming pool you have ever seen. And, and you're getting ready to watch the most, this, this has to be the most horrendous Olympic sport you have ever seen. Because, I mean, there's not a four-and-a-half, you know, piped somersault backflip or anything like that. Uh, it's not, we don't even hold them under the water long enough to set any records. I mean, if, if you really just think about it for a moment there, you just, here's this guy standing in the water and these people are just walking in and he just dunks them, you know, a little dip and a pop and that's it and then they walk back out. Well, what was that about? What was that all for? What did that all mean that you, you would have to ask yourself that, that question, what is this all about? But what we see in baptism is a person who has trusted Christ as Lord and Savior who has identified with him. And when they get into that water, they are declaring, I have died to my old life. And as we pull them back up out of the water, it is a proclamation that they are now alive in Christ, living in him, living in the power of his resurrection. It is in them by virtue of Christ's abiding presence in them, by virtue of the Holy Spirit in them. We have a new life, and so there's no excuse to to continue in willful sin. It doesn't belong to one who truly knows the Lord. One final reason that we cannot live in that sin is walking in this way brings glory to God. You say, where does it say that? I'm I'm struggling to see where it says that. Well, there in verse 4, it says that Christ was raised by the glory of the Father. So Christ's resurrection, remember Christ's resurre- resurrection is analogous and connected to our spiritual resurrection. We have to, we have to understand that whatever is, a, is applied there and said about Christ's resurrection has some application to us. So if Christ being raised from the dead was by and to and for the glory of God the Father, then our spiritual resurrection to new life, that walking in newness of life, you notice I asked each one of them, it's just one of the questions that I take out of Romans 6 and, and ask at the end is, are, do you want to walk in newness of life with him? Is that, is that your intention? Because that's what resurrection means in our lives, when we, when we, that we will walk in a new way. It will change us. It will change how we live. And walking in that newness of life draws attention to God who raised us to it. When you live a life, and this is what the Bible refers to and what theologians refer to as sanctification, but when you live out the implication of being in union with Christ and through the power of His resurrection, when you grow more and more into the likeness of the image of the Son, that's one of the biblical analogies for our spiritual growth is that we're being kind of chiseled away on. You know, like you come to Christ, you're like this big, massive, ugly rock, big old, gnarly rock boulder and, and God is chiseling away and he's chiseling that into the image of his son. And so as that increases, as you look more and more like Christ in your actual living in the holiness of your life, that draws glory to God. That's a good thing. And that is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus, which is now at, at work in you. Years ago, uh, very famous Preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon told a story, and I'm sure you've heard it before. So stop me if you have. No, um, don't do that. He was uh, he was a preacher in London, and uh, he was out one walking one night, and he saw a man. Kind of recognized him, Matt. You've heard this story a hundred times, right? And uh, and this guy was clearly drunk, you know. And he was just standing over there, holding himself or holding the lamp up, one of the two, you know. And he's he sees Spurgeon, and he's like, hey, Mr. Spurgeon, I'm one of your converts. He's trying to, you know, mock Spurgeon to, you know, look what happened to me. You're, you know, that gospel you preached and that, eh, I'm one of your converts, and it didn't, it didn't work, didn't take. And uh, Spurgeon, without missing a beat, looked at the guy and said, well, you must be one of mine because you certainly aren't one of his. Ouch! <laughs> right, that hurts, and it sounds—it almost sounds nasty. But but what he was saying was, look, man, if you're following me and me alone and my words, I don't have in in my own storytelling, my words, whatever you want to say, a preacher has going for him. If if that's all you've got, if if nothing, if it's nothing more than what I'm doing here, you're you're going to have nothing from that. If you're my if you're my convert, if you're my disciple, you're, you're not going to end up looking too good. But if you have truly trusted in Christ and and his resurrection is at work in you, then the glory won't go to Charles Haddon Spurgeon or any other preacher. The glory will go to Almighty God because it's his power. It's it's for his glory. Perhaps you're here as a believer, or, or at least you affirm, I'm a believer. You say that. And there are days that you doubt it because you've been living in the world. If you're a person who names the name of Christ, but but you've lived very little for him and you've given yourself over and you've persuaded yourself, and I I understand, I can remember times in my life where when I was really young and I didn't get to church like I should and and I was just living like the world, but I'd tell myself, well, you know, I prayed, I trusted Christ, and besides, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and I doubt that I could, phrased it exactly that way, but I'll guarantee you that it was 100% the way my heart was living it at that moment. And maybe that's you, and you're going, yeah, uh, that, this, this, this translation between uh, faith and, and my baptism and how I'm living isn't really lining up. If that's you, then I just would say to you and call to you today to repent. Repent, because this, not, this, this should not be Bottom line, it's an abhorrent thought. You, just, you don't get you know, dressed in, in, in that pure white clothing and then just go throw yourself in the mud because, well, Christ took care of it. That's not even a way to think about this. You were baptized. You stood before men and women of God and others as your witness, and you said, I am with Christ. I believe in Him. I am united in the likeness of His death and in the power of His resurrection. And if that be the case, then you should be living for the glory of God. You should be living for holiness. And if you know that you're not, and you know that you've been just intentionally going the wrong way, then today, repent. Repent turn back reaffirm what you were affirming in your baptism that you have died to that old self and and let god work that in you that that the power of the new life for his glory doesn't that sound good doesn't it sound good to be to be dressed in in clothed in white and living for the glory of the one who powerfully saved you yeah you don't know Jesus today and, and, and you know you don't know him, then I just, I just hold him out to you as the one and only one who can, who can save you from your sin. If you feel the power of, of, of sin in you and, and you know yourself to be a prisoner to that and you want to be free, Christ offers that. He offers redemption, salvation, justification, but he also offers sanctification. That is, when you come into union with Christ, your life will change to the glory of God. And when you do and when you come to Christ, when you come to know him by faith, we would love for you to become involved in the people of God. You need the body of Christ. You need others. And if you haven't been baptized, then you'll need to get baptized. You should be baptized. And we would be glad to be that church for you and to surround you and to encourage you because when you come to Christ, you, you cannot go just give yourself over and go on sinning, go on living the life. You want that, you want the, that experience of the new life and you really need the body of Christ for that. Let's pray. Father thank you for this service. I know it's been a long uh, Easter morning in that sense and uh, and yet Lord what what do what do we have better to do than to praise you to to glorify you to remember our salvation to think about the beauty and glory of union with Christ which is so powerfully demonstrated in baptism. Lord may we live that out. May we live a greater mortification of sin, a greater death to sin, and, um, and live more toward that newness of life that you've called us to. And we know that you are capable of doing that as you raise Christ from the dead. You are able to give life to our mortal bodies. You are able to work those good things in us. And, and we just ask, Lord, that we might have a willingness of spirit. And if we start to stray, if we start to forget and we're starting to, to pull away, remind us of that day, as it were, that, that we stood before witnesses and made our confession of faith and were baptized in the waters that, that show forth, Lord, our, our, our death to sin and that new life. And we pray, Lord, that if somebody is here and they, they are not walking with you or they know themselves not to be a believer, that they would see the beauty of Christ and be drawn to him. They would see in him a savior, and a king, and that they would confess him as both and that they would leave here today redeemed and justified and, uh, and help us to be a church to them and surround them with your love. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.